Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Michael, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Why don't we get started by uh, having you tell us a little bit about your background? And it sounds like you've been doing some work with machine learning and AI at uh, Link. How did you kind of come into working with those those technologies? Yeah, thank you for that. It's a great opportunity to really explain how we've been taking AI and we've taken the work with Pega to you know, very different levels than we've ever had in the past. So it's probably worth starting with what our industry and what our business does. So we work with corporates to basically do some outsourcing for them. So we look after the share registration, employee share plans, some investor relations. So we're the guys when there's an annual general meeting, we're the people who send you the documentation, allow you to vote at a meeting, pay dividends, you know, if there's a corporate action, those kind of things. On the employee share side, if there's a launch of an employee share plan, we'll manage all of that. That industry is a pretty mature industry. It's been around for hundreds of years. And inevitably, because of that, it's very product-focused, very paper-focused, very transactional-focused. And from time to time, it's very seasonal-focused as well. So an AGM only comes around once a year, and they tend to be within the same three-month period. So you can see there are huge spikes in volumes. An AGM? Uh, Sorry, an annual general meeting. Okay. So when a PLC, once a year, engages with their shareholders to say, this is what we want to do for the following year, and that might be reappointing the directors, might be reappointing auditors, might be taking some strategic decisions uh, around that. So, And corporate actions, things like takeovers, um, mergers and acquisitions, and those kind of things we do as well. So we realized as part of this that our industry was relatively manual, relatively paper-based, with a large number of handoffs between different parties as, as we go on. And we knew that a lot of that created inefficiency, probably some risk within the business, uh, and certainly not the service you would want to provide to customers and their stakeholders. And one of the things that's a little bit unique about our business is our clients are the PLCs, so public limited companies, um, and the corporates, whereas the stakeholders are the shareholders or in the employees. So whilst we only have you know, just over a 1,000 clients, we have millions upon millions of stakeholders who are contacting us to say, I've changed my address. You didn't pay me a dividend. Oh, yes, you did. Can I have a replacement? All of those kind of things. So we spent you know, a bit of time saying, how do we want to work in the industry as we go forward? And we looked at other industries and how they behaved. What we didn't know was effectively where to start on that journey. Now, we could have taken the choice that a lot of organizations, I think, do, which was throw a lot of money at innovation and hope something sticks and hope that that will produce some good benefit. Instead, we decided to really go down almost the Donald Rumsfeld, let's find out the unknown unknowns or the known unknowns. And to do that, we worked with Pega to implement something called workforce intelligence. Now, that's a product that sits on everyone's PC and basically takes a screen grab of what people are doing on a minute-by-minute, hour-by-hour, day-by-day process and allows a very clear analysis of what an individual, what a team, what a department are doing. And that gave us a huge insight into our current processes, our current ways of working, and indeed where the risks were behind that. Immediately we put that in, we saw a real change in behaviours. So one of the most important parts of that AI journey was the change in employee behavior. 
initially they felt that this could be and maybe was a big brother type scenario where people were looking at their day-to-day work, whether that would impact them as individuals, whether that was a management tool to effectively beat them with a stick. In reality, that was never the intention. The intention was to work with the guys and say, we can see from this AI and we can see from the reports that it's generating where inefficiencies are where an employee is toggling between two different systems to get the right service for a client or their stakeholder, where we could see there was suddenly a gap in processing because they had to go off and do a you know, bespoke activity before they could carry on with the end-to-end journey of, of the product that we were trying to put in place at that point. So we created this environment where teams, managers, and everyone involved in the process had a real window into the operating process and understanding of what was going right, and probably more importantly, what was going wrong. I've got to imagine that the concerns that the team members might have initially had mm-hmm. really only shifted once you started to actually deliver on that information, take action on the the things you learned via this reporting. What was the and presumably you had to, you know, build some stuff to do some things in order to, you know, for example, smooth out a process. What was the timeline, you know, from when you started you know, getting access to this information and when you're able to actually implement change in the organization? That's exactly right. And I th- there was a lot of concern when we first put it in place, not only from the administrators and the operatives, but also the managers themselves, which is sometimes people are surprised that I say that. So let me take a couple of examples of that, and then I can answer your question in, in full. So when we first started out on the journey, we spent a lot of time talking to the teams, training the, with the teams to explain what the data would be used for and how we would go down that particular journey. And effectively, we had a, a dual strategy a top-down approach of these are the kind of things we want to change to make it happen and a bottom-up approach that was going to be led by the employees and their managers. We had effectively four types of people. Those who got it straight away and said, this is great, you know, really embrace the the possibility to, to look at that data and challenge themselves. Those who kind of got the idea but weren't convinced yet and those who were just, this is the worst thing in the world that you could happen to me, this is, you know, threat of my job. The fourth which is the surprising one, was the managers. A lot of managers were saying, why are you putting in something that I already know? Why are you telling me how to do my job? And that was the fear factor behind that. But to answer your question, it was within the first month that we saw the change. With the good teams, and there were different journeys for different teams and different departments, we saw that very quickly on their day-to-day huddles, because every team has a a huddle in the morning around a whiteboard to see what's going to be ahead and, and what's going on. The good teams were using that data from day one to try and understand why there were differences in approach between team members, why people were doing things in a different way, why team member A was getting really good productivity, whereas another team member was not getting productivity. And they didn't see it as a competition or a threat to each other. They saw it as a way to really bolster the customer service and really improve quality. So those teams within the first month were suddenly seeing change. With the managers in those teams as well, we saw that very quickly they realized that the the age-old struggle of our managers managing or our managers superdoers was seen through this data very quickly. And they could understand that actually they weren't doing the job in the way that we wanted their roles and responsibilities to be, and they were becoming superdoers. So very quickly they were able to work with their teams and say, hold on, I shouldn't be doing this. Let me pass this down to the the right people. 
which funnily enough made everyone happy. The operatives were saying, finally, I'm getting to do my job to its fullest extent. The managers were able to manage, do quality assurance and those kind of things to go from there. But to answer your question, not every team you know, reached that, that conclusion within the first month. We did, as you rightly surmised, have to put in some changes you know, around that. And those changes were both bottom up and top down. So one example of the bottom up is we found in one particular team, there were three or four ways of working for a particular function. So rather than us come in and say, we will change that for you, we actually implemented something called a power hour, uh, which is a nice consultancy term for, we took the team away from their desk for an hour, said, here's the problem. There's four, four different journeys on this and we can show you the data. Please come back in an hour and tell us how you want to do this going forward. They went away went around a whiteboard, came back, felt very empowered and said, this is how we want to you know, manage this process going forward. The following day, you already saw the data change. It was incredible you know, in that type of journey. Other types of things did require change from us. So we've implemented something called a process defect log, uh, which is from the data from the WFI, we're able to see where a process is inefficient. And just like you would have a code defect log, we're now monitoring those and saying, we will help you change those processes. Some can be very quick, you know, some very simple feeds of data to different systems. Some take rather longer. Yeah, and we've been using that to then implement the PEGA system more universally to say, we now know what processes are fantastic. We know which ones are okay. And we know which ones needed some attention because they're pretty broken. And the business case and the benefit from looking at those individual processes has allowed us to do that top-down approach and put PEGA in place in a way that I think if you'd been scattergun, you wouldn't have got the same benefits that this has clearly shown us where to look and, and where to do the right work. This workforce intelligence product, WFI, is kind of capturing user screen activity. And then is it automatically categorizing that or providing some higher level analytics on top of that? Or does that go back to some team or staff that you have that is kind of manually reviewing that and trying to determine the patterns of, of use and these things that you turn into power hours and things like that? A bit of both. Okay. Uh, inevitably in these kind of things. So the one thing it does very well is tell us an awful lot of data. But before that happens... Such as? Uh, let me explain. So before that happens, we had to categorize what we felt was productive versus what was non-productive. Okay. So we have our own internal operating systems, as everyone does, but we also use the ubiquitous you know, Microsoft tools and everything else. Some people would see, say, email, Microsoft Outlook as a productive tool. Some people don't. So when you're setting it up for the first time, there is a choice for you as a company to say, I believe these products are productive. These systems are productive. These ones are non-productive. And obviously, you then categorize non-work as well, you know, around those kind of things. Now, you will never have 100% productivity because you always want staff to be trained. You always want employees to have a break. You always want those kind of things. But you set your own targets behind that. Once you've set it up, the system is fantastic at giving you an analysis to say, within those productive or non-productive areas, this is what you're seeing. So give you an example of, of a tool that we said was productive, which was Microsoft Outlook. We hadn't realized, oh, probably we realized, but maybe not to the extent of how it was being used within operations. So we knew it was used. We, it was part of our end-to-end -end process. But in some departments, and not all, 
it was up to 25% of the day-to-day activity within a team. So WFI gave a very quick insight to that. The no part of that is we've then got to take the choices of how we're going to change that and how we look going forward. The other argument within that was WFI also shows us um, when employees are going between two systems. So you can break down very quickly that, say, you're going between the operational system and Excel or Word or something like that or you know different operational systems, and it shows you very quickly how often that's happening. And by just seeing that and by seeing that, seeing the frequency drives certain behaviors and certain activity that you want to do as managers to change that behavior. Because clearly, every time you go between a system, there's a few seconds lost or there's potentially imaginal risk or there's friction exactly behind that. Um, And then, of course, you can then compare teams and employees and see the different behaviors that are going on, which is then allow us to go back to the power hours and those kind of things to go from there. It sounds like a really interesting tool for allowing you to understand you know, there's like theoretical understanding of your exactly. processes and then what's actually happening on the ground. And it sounds like it enables that. When you think about the this tool and the way you've deployed it, what strikes you as kind of most AI or machine learning in, you know, the tool or your use of it? It's a great question. And I think it's really about dragging the assumptions that we had from the past into touch. Now, that's you, know, you may argue that's not true AI. But it, it really is providing a, an automated and a very real-time feed and, and a window into our operating system. So I mentioned before the comparison of the ways people are working, and that is a you know, true part of the AI. And it, the machine does make suggestions of where to look and saying, we have noticed across the different areas, there's some big differences between behaviors. And within there, there is a, a tool that allows you to say, these are the areas you want to target to then make change. Um, what it also does, I guess, and it, it gives you the leap of faith towards more AI going forward. So whilst it shows you the first step, you can then obviously go into other parts of the PEGA and portfolio to say, actually, I'm now going to take machine learning into that from this base tool. So it takes you to a certain point. It tiptoes into a bit of machine learning, but actually to do that properly, you then probably take some other PEGA tools uh, to go from from so the status quo to the future state. Okay, so there's a sounds like an underlying belief that you can't automate what you can't really understand. So uh, this will help you understand again your processes on the ground and provide an on ramp to uh, further automation. That's right, and I think a lot of us will be very familiar with people talking blockchain, workflow, AI, data, and those are solutions. Now, what we often hear is, you you must invest in, put one of those names in there. You must do this, you must do that. The question we should always ask ourselves is why? What benefit is that actually going to produce, whether that's a benefit to an employee, whether that's a benefit to a customer, whatever that particular benefit is. What this tool has done is changed the the power, if you like, from the people who are saying, you must, you must, you must, to the actual people who are providing the service to say, what we need is. Now, what we need is to solve an issue, create quality, remove risk, whatever that might be. And so it gives you that step to then say, this is the requirement. Therefore, now go and implement whatever whatever the solution is so it's really creating yeah, a 
an automated requirements process, for want of a better expression, okay. that you never had in the past. And it does go back to exactly what you said. You may have assumed you may have known some of this stuff, but you didn't really know. And it's provided a very automated way to say, this is where your problem is, and this is the benefit you will get if you fix it, because that's the other part of the tool that really is, is clear. If you can change your productivity from 50% to 60%, yeah, in terms of number of man hours per year, that is enormous. And that writes its business case, you know, by itself without any particular yeah, need for challenge because the facts are there. And then you pick the right solution for that, whether that be workflow, whether that be a data hub, whether it be whatever it might be to, to resolve that particular issue. I, I imagine that you had some visibility into individual employee productivity going into this process. You, you had to have a sense of, you know, these are your A players, they process 3x the volume of some other, uh, other employees. But, you, but you've mentioned several times that it gives you kind of visibility into that productivity. When you, when you say that, is it, again, kind of going back to this understanding of like the why of the productivity or are there aspects of productivity that weren't readily apparent to you before you had this visibility? Both. Uh, so the why is very important. Um, and no one comes to work. Very few people come to work wanting to do a bad job. Yeah, everyone wants to do the best of their ability. Sometimes when people aren't as productive, people jump to conclusions that it's around the capabilities of that person, it's their attitude, whatever it might be. The reality is sometimes it might be we have set up that employee not to be as productive as the person sitting next to them because we may not have given them the same tools to do the job, the same training, the same experience, and all of those kind of things to do that. So WFI allows you to see what they are doing differently to that person who is very productive. Is that an experience thing? Is that the way they are working? Do they need different training, different coaching, whatever it, it might be? And by investing in that, We've seen you know, a real uptick in exactly what you were just mentioning, the performance in certain individuals, where historically you might have said, I need to put them on a performance improvement plan for all the wrong reasons. Mm. This now provides you know, an improvement plan that is for all the right reasons, and we're seeing you know, real benefits behind that. So you know, that, that in itself is, has been super you know, helpful. The other side of that is it's provided employees a self-help they can actually now turn around because they see the data as much as anyone else and say, I am struggling because of, please come and help me. Please come and put in some change and those solutions I was talking about a second ago to make sure that not only is their process more efficient, but we give better quality to clients, et cetera. So we've talked about this insight, this visibility as kind of the on-ramp to true machine learning and AI. How far are you along that path? Yeah, it's a great question. So we only put WFI in in January 2017, so okay. 18 months or so ago. Uh, and we saw a huge change in the first six to 12 months. And now, inevitably, it's beginning to level out a bit. But what it did do, as you rightly surmised, is give us the opportunity to say, and now what? Yeah, now let's do the top, top down stuff. Um, and we're, we've implemented one uh, layer of our next steps, but we're about to introduce uh, the second, which is really the bit you're probably going to be interested in. So the first layer we put in place was we re-looked at the way clients contact us in terms of paper form, and we've used uh, the PEGA system to digitalize our post room and start putting you know, a very, very automated process in place, which isn't true machine learning at this point. What we're also doing, though, is the second part of how our stakeholders contact with us. So paper is one, 
call centers or another. And we're starting to implement the call center module out of PEGA to really understand not only how our process is on the call center, but to start doing machine learning. So we are already starting to see in our proof of concept, you know, the pop-ups from the machine to say, based on the first part of this conversation, we're expecting to see this kind of behavior. These are the answers you need to give and really helping our operatives give a better service to the people who call up. And that's the bit that starts to excite me. Uh, from there, if that works, we're going to start introducing the robotic web chat yeah, around things where instead of just having a call center, we move away from the traditional web chat, which is actually just two people emailing each other and calling it a web chat, um, to a <laughs> machine learned way of doing things where, you know, very quickly we can see people's behaviors, put in the keywords and start learning about how to either answer their questions or take them to the right page on our web portal, talk them through or machine talk them through a process so they, there's a lot more self-help. Um, and we've seen in other industries that self-service is, is the way people want to go. And to have machine learning do that is really important. Yeah, I, I've spoken before at, at conferences about we have a lot to learn from other industries. And, and the travel industry is a great example. Yeah, I'm old enough to remember the booklets of tickets where you ripped them out as you went through <laughs> the airport. They went through a process of self-service where they put all the cost onto us as you know, travelers and we thank them for it. Yeah, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put cost onto someone else, but I do want to provide a self-service process where machines pay a part to that, to those people who want it. Uh, our business is one where the demographics are some people will embrace that massively. You know, that's their expectations. Some of our other demographics probably aren't ready for that yet. So we always have to provide the um, two options, whether that be machine learning co contact or pick up the phone and speak to someone. But in the background, we've got machine learning helping those people give the right service. Mm. Yeah, that was a big theme in the keynotes this morning mm. uh, and across the industry really is the continued uh, consumerization of, of IT, if you will, meaning people's expectations have uh, have kind of risen to the level of what they experience every day via their phone and the consumer offerings. And now, as businesses, we're expected to deliver on that. Yeah, and we've seen technology jumps too. So we have all demographics who hold shares. The older generation often are cited as people who they want paper, they want to do things in a certain way, but that's just not true. Mm. We see that whilst they didn't like PCs and laptops, a lot of them are on their tablets and their, their phones, FaceTiming the children, booking holidays and everything else. So one of the things in terms of how we use machines is to link into the expectations of those different demographics. And you are right, we're seeing people expect things to happen immediately. Yeah, if they wait 30 seconds for someone to pick up the phone, they get frustrated. Whereas you know, a couple of years ago, no one cared. Right. Um, equally, when they do a web chat, to use the previous example, waiting for someone to answer is no longer acceptable. You know, you want an immediate answer. So depending on those stakeholders and how they engage, machine learning and machine interaction is becoming more and more important for those particular you know, stakeholder groups and their expectations. So in continuing down this path towards incorporating more machine learning, mm -hmm. more AI into your operations, you know, on the one hand, you're uh, absorbing a lot of technology and expertise via the vendor relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm curious as well, 
you know, what kind of, um, what you've had to do internally in terms of, you know, skills, competencies, uh, development efforts, things like that in order to fully embrace this? Yeah, it's a great question. I think you're right. You have different stakeholder groups who move in a, in a different way. So clients and their stakeholders, we've talked about it, and it's, it's a different journey. Internally, we have had to invest. So even though I talk about the top down and the bottom up, ultimately that is a business transformation type role. And everyone is very busy. And it's quite a difficult thing to get the operational teams who are day-to-day running in operations to think in a much more strategic leadership way to to embrace those kind of things. So we did invest in a central team, as naturally known as the Business Transformation and Service Excellence Team. You know, it took us a long time to come up with that title, obviously. Um, and their job was not to sit centrally uh, and create ideas, but to really get out into the business teams sit with the teams, understand what was going on and start training them in different ways of working. So we have you know, a, a group of core routines that we've embedded into the business, which yeah, are linked to the Six Sigma type of activities, but it's the daily huddles to understand what's going on, to utilize the MI moving forward. Um, they've challenged people around what is your daily MI that you would normally have and look at, and is that really fit for purpose? And how can we use machine learning to change that kind of behavior and move things forward? So really simple example on the call center. Some of the MI we had in the past was useful, but what it didn't tell me was how many times did you call? What was your tone when you called back the last time? Were you relaxed, frustrated? And machine learning can pick up some of that stuff and, and give different data. Did your call end with you saying, that's great, thank you, you've answered my question, or did it end up with you writing a complaint? So bringing all of those pieces together and that central team really joining up the different departments to do things in a consistent way and use that data and learning consistently was an investment we had to make. Of course, some of those people are trained in in change, you know, the Six Sigma type uh, activity, but what we didn't want to do, as I already said, is sit those guys centrally and they sit in their ivory tower telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. You know, whilst they come together and make sure things are consistent, they are embedded in the business as part of the local teams. And did they? Did you build that team with pre-existing experience around machine learning technologies and what you know what's possible, what's not possible there, or uh, did you uh, train them in those types of things? A combination. So some of the team were brought in because they were experts in in change okay yeah around looking at operating models and saying how do we want to do things differently and and go from there some of those people are experts in technology so funnily enough we do have you know one young lady who actually used to work for pega yeah who is a business process architect but she understands that machine learning very very well it does a lot of work in robotics and, and can bring that flavor so like all teams you need diversity yeah as i'm in america i talk about american football an American football team with only quarterbacks doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, so it's the same with our transformation team. We need you know, people who can do analysis, people who can do end-to-end processing analysis, people who can look at change, people who can implement that change, and, of course, people who understand robotics, AI, machine learning, etc. Yeah, part of what I'm finding interesting in this conversation is I talk to a lot of folks that are building data science uh teams uh, and trying to understand or think through how to structure those. Do we centralize them? Do we Mm -hmm. decentralize them? Uh, And it 
you know, strikes me as, uh, you know, it strikes me that a lot of companies are figuring the same things out or have figured the same things out as regards to other change initiatives, whether it's mm-hmm. digital transformation or, you know, ERP before that or yeah. something else before that. It's like, it's not just technology. It's, no. you know, technology process people, all these things together and a balance of, um, you know, the, the, the folks that I've talked to that are most sophisticated about bringing data science to an organization kind of start the conversation with, you know, it's about culture and it's about people and it's about building and understanding of what's possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, then there are different approaches to, you know, which problems you bite off and, and mm-hmm. how you manage the portfolio. But yep. it, that, it strikes me that that, you know, that central piece around, you know, again, people process culture, it's uh, critical. You're exactly right. And I think if you start from the, we want to introduce machine learning, you'll fail. <laughs> yeah. If you start from what am I trying to achieve? And generally, you know, it's a small list. It's normally increased quality, reduce risk, uh, potentially increased margin. If your company's, you know, pushing at that, it's probably, it should be not always employee wellbeing and making sure people have got the tools to do their job and, you know, are happy in their jobs because that creates productivity and in itself will increase margin. It's starting with those and understanding what you want to achieve. You know, is it saying, I want to get rid of incidents, complaints, higher quality, whatever it might be? And then that will lead you to exactly what you said, process, culture, technology. Technology is one of the tools you will put that right with. There are others. You know, some of that's around the structure of your business. You know, are you set up in a way that you know, you'd look, talk, say, spans and layers within your business? You know, how many deep is your operational structure? Is that efficient? Nothing to do with technology. But it does provide a very different structure for employee well-being and, and how they feel and career paths and all, everything else associated with that. Technology is just another element of that. And you know, as I said, if you start with that, I, I strongly believe you'll fail. You've got to have a real reason for putting that in place and understanding what's going on. And it will constantly change. You know, I remember I'm sadly old enough to remember the debate around whether you have Excel or Lotus 123. <laughs> you know, and today... Oh, so then that was a big question. Do we want to implement these things? Now you find a business that doesn't think Excel is you know, part and parcel of what you have. So some of the things we're talking about today, in 10 years' time, people will go, why are you even asking that question? Right. That, that is just the nature of our job. And as we see the change in employees, it's going to be really, really interesting because, as you said, technology is changing incredibly fast. Some employees are still questioning some of this stuff and are very wedded to certain ways of working, graduates coming through are saying, why are you using email? Yeah, I don't use email anymore. It's all messaging. So we are seeing this technology change, not just with our clients, but internally as well. And again, as I already said, using that technology to deliver the benefits and the things you want as part of your target operating model is key. But you've got to understand why. What are you trying to achieve? What are your objectives? Putting something in for putting it in just will not work. Hmm. And so, my, you know, I want to ask how you articulate the the vision for you know AI and machine learning, mm-hmm. you know, with the the broader stakeholders in your organization. But yeah, I'm wondering if the vision for AI and machine learning even includes talking about machine learning and AI at the level that you're 
you're operating? It very much does. So as part of our target operating model, we regularly do stand-ups to all of our employees, whether that's in small groups as teams or whether we do big town hall type structures. And we tend to focus on a different subject each time. So it might be people and culture, you know, one quarter. It might be technology, another. And as part of that technology, some of the debates are actually great. You know, we're again, the different employees who have different feelings towards this are really discussing and saying, how do we want to do this? How do we want to move it forward? To the other end of people who are very scared of it still. You know, there is still an expectation sometimes that machine learning means a reduction in roles. Really doesn't. Yeah, it actually means creating those roles and and giving the employees the chance to do their job properly and really change the way they are performing to provide what we all want to do. You know, everyone wants to provide the best quality to their clients. Machine learning allows you to do that. And it's just having those conversations and bringing people on. I can guarantee you that if I sat centrally and just put an edict and says, we are now going to do X, there'd be uproar. Communication is key on all of this stuff. And I would be incredibly arrogant if I thought I knew everything about machine learning sitting centrally. Actually, the guys who are doing the job day to day, every moment of the day, are the ones who really benefit and really want it because they see the, the true benefit immediately. So it is going back to that communication piece, working together, you know, not just as employees, but as a board to say, where do we want to do this? So we started on the operational side, but of course, machine learning will come on the sales side as well, come on our dealing side. So we do some share dealing. Machine learning is going to be able to tell us you know, when the peaks are going to be, how people are going to behave in certain market you know, changes. You know, we live in a very, very unstable world at the moment. It will be great as we move down this AI journey and this machine learning journey to be able to predict better how people are going to behave in certain circumstances. I really appreciate you taking the time to kind of walk us through the way you're approaching this. It sounds like you've got a kind of an interesting, you know, set of plans ahead of you. No, thank you. It's been my absolute pleasure. And I think, yeah, hopefully you've got a taste of the fact that at the end of the day, our employee well-being and our client's quality is at the heart of everything we do. Machine learning and what we've used so far with WFI and with PEGA is really starting to make a difference in, in that scenario. And we're at the beginning. You know, we've got a long way to go in that. We know that, but it's been an exciting start. There's a lot more to do, but hopefully I've given you a flavor of that today of, of where we started and where we're going to. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. For more information on Michael or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 153. To follow along with the Pegaworld series, visit twimlai.com slash Pegaworld 2018. As always, thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.